saving 35 bucks a tank. The big rush to fill up at the border increases at the pump, pushing drivers to go stateside. I believe this is about the worst that I've seen. Interior flood watch Cash Creek declaring a local state of emergency after rising waters flood the village. On behalf of Connacht Nation, it's very disappointing. It's tragic. And lucky number seven, the hopes of a top three pick in the draft lottery dashed. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with news from Vancouver's downtown east side, where police have a suspect in custody after a number of random knife attacks last night. Just before 8.30 yesterday evening, the VPD was called to East Hastings and Princess Avenue after a 50-year-old man was ambushed from behind and slashed across the neck. That victim escaping with minor injuries with the suspect running off. Ten minutes later, a 56-year-old man suffering minor stab wounds after he was attacked near Kiefer and Jackson Avenue. At around 8.40, a woman in her 80s slashed across the neck near Jackson and Union Street. She was taken to hospital and is expected to survive. And just before 9 o'clock, a 24-year-old man attacked on Kiefer at Gore. He fought off the suspect who fled towards Main Street. Officers quickly arrested a 23-year-old Vancouver man. Joshua David Menia remains in custody, charged with four counts of aggravated assault. More details tonight about the Vancouver victim of Thursday's homicide in Yaletown as police are appealing for more witnesses to come forward. Investigators believe that 37-year-old Christopher Thomas Schiller was attacked at Cooper's Park near the Canby Street Bridge early on Thursday. Schiller was able to drag himself to the Park Casino where he collapsed. He later died in hospital. Those who knew him say he was a good guy who became addicted to drugs. More than a decade ago, Schiller spent time in jail for two assaults on northern Vancouver Island. More recently, he was convicted of theft in Vancouver and Burnaby. No arrests have been made. Police still trying to work out what led to his death. Gas prices on the lower mainland have shot up again this weekend. They're expected to reach another all-time high of $1.62 a litre. As Paul Johnson reports, it's now pushing drivers from B.C. to head to the border to fill up their tanks. With the number of B.C. plates in line here, you'd be forgiven if you thought this was a Costco somewhere in the lower mainland. But this is Bellingham, USA. And for Canadians looking for an even better deal, the latest trend is coming home with not just a full tank, but with a few jerry cans as well. Even with a weak loony, and even for those without a Nexus Pass, tanking up in Whatcom County feels like a big bargain for a lot of Canadians now. I'd rather wait a half an hour to 45 minutes in line at the border to come here if I have to. It hurts. So uh, so this is the alternative, and, and it works really good. Most Canadians who made the trip south today told us they're saving between 20 and $30 of fill-up, depending on the size of their tank. In fact, the price difference between B.C. and Whatcom County is likely the biggest across any border in North America right now. So expect this trend to continue. So the question is how high? And uh, I suspect that by not this week, but the following week, we could see that backing off a little bit with two refineries in Washington state 
coming back online. A lot of the gas we burn in B.C. comes from big refineries in Washington state like this one. But they also have to feed the booming U.S. economy. And that, combined with their annual maintenance shutdowns in the spring, means the price of gas goes nowhere but up. But back in Blaine, Al, a frequent crosser himself, had this to say about the idea of Canadians turning into amateur fuel shippers. The frustrating thing is when you see people filling up jerry cans, that's bad, that's dangerous. I mean, they put a bomb in the trunk of their car is what they do. I see 40 gallons. It's not right. That should stop. An unsettling observation. But with the forces of supply and demand not in their favor, BC drivers are likely to do what humans have always done, get even more creative at cutting their bills. Paul Johnson, Global News. A competitive snowboarder from the U.S. had a narrow escape from being buried by an avalanche in Whistler earlier this week. Brock Crouch posted pictures of his recovery at VGH on Instagram. The 18-year-old says he was shooting a snowboarding video for a film company with three others in the Whistler backcountry last Sunday when the snow underneath him broke away and he swept down down a cliff. The helicopter pilot that brought the group to the mountain spotted Crouch's snowboard and his friends dug him out. He spent a week in hospital being treated for numerous injuries, including a fractured uh, vertebrae and a torn pancreas. Crouch is a member of the U.S. snowboarding Pro Slope style team. A flood watch remains in effect tonight for BC's central interior. A lot of rivers around Cache Creek, Merritt, Williams Lake and Quinell are rising. The flood water is already washing out some roads. The cleanup already underway in Cache Creek, where a local state of emergency has now been declared. Kristen Robinson reports. As spring flooding spills onto the streets, Cache Creek is once again under a local state of emergency. We're getting to be old hat at this. Villagers racing to fill sandbags in order to stem the tide from a rapidly melting snowpack. Help save our neighbors. That's what we do here. Cash Creek overflowed its banks Friday. The water running through the village and down the highway, washing out part of the road at Highway 97 northbound near Highway 1. I, think, I believe this is about the worst that I've seen. As the cleanup begins, the worst may be yet to come. The Bonaparte River, which runs through Cache Creek, expected to crest early next week in what could be a one in 90 year flood event. They expect it to peak at about 97 cubic meters a second, so two to three times what we're seeing in the Bonaparte River right now. The bank is being eaten away from the flood of 2015. That tree used to be in the park. Along the banks of the Bonaparte, everyone is trying to keep their head above water. We in this park are very, very nervous about this river, that's for sure. Trailer park tenants sandbagging to save their homes. River's come up almost three feet in the last three days. You can see the water running and how high it is to flowing in here, so it won't be long. North of Cache Creek, the water has already arrived in Nazco, the small ranching and logging community 100 kilometers west of Quinell, seeing flooding as the Nazco River rises. In the heart of Cache Creek, locals hoping wherever the water takes them this year, it won't be as tragic as 2017, when their beloved fire chief, Clayton Cassidy, 
was swept away by floodwaters. It's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad this year, and the snowpack is at record levels, so I don't see this getting any better. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Ceremonies being held today across the country to remember those who were killed or injured on the job. The Olympic cauldron at Jackpool Plaza in Vancouver was lit today in honour of the day of mourning. Last year in BC, 158 people died from a workplace injury or disease. That includes three men who were killed by an ammonia leak at the Fernie Memorial Arena last October. The life of one young worker with a passion for music was changed forever when at the age of 17 he lost one of his arms while on the job as a recycler at a drywall dump. We as employers need to end the constant thought that you don't that you need to be working constantly and that you can't put your safety first. And as employers we need to tell our employees that it's okay to not do something if it's not safe. We need to make it more obvious in the workplace to talk about this most safe ways to do things. And we need to make it okay for any age of worker to go up to the boss and say, this is ridiculous, we need to get this changed. Now, it's a family reunion more than 45 years in the making. That is how long it's been since Helen Claire Frost disappeared, her family desperately searching for her ever since. Finally this week, a major breakthrough. Nadia Stewart has their story. Helen knitted this for uh, Michelle when she was a baby. They are the memories Sandy Barnett has cherished for more than 45 years. And she can now finally share them with the niece she's been waiting just as long to see. Well, it's like a uh, uh, piece of my family has come back. You know, my sister's daughter. Two years ago, when Global News first met Barnett, she was desperately looking for two people. Her sister, Helen Claire Frost, and the baby girl, Helen, gave up for adoption. She was 17 and welfare... Uh, she had a welfare worker, and they went to the hospital and talked her into giving the baby up for adoption. That was back in May 1970. Five months later, on an October evening, Helen went for a walk in the Prince George area, never to be seen or heard from again. Barnett and friends began searching along the stretch of highway now known as the Highway of Tears. This guy and I did go searching. He found out she had hitchhiked from the Husky in Prince George, heading south. A truck driver told him that. There's been no real progress on this story since then. Yeah. <laughs> that is, until Michelle Johnston recently decided it was time to find her birth mother. Then finding out my mom's, my birth mother's name, found her name on a forum, and um, she mentioned um, missing Helen Claire Frost on Facebook. So I joined that and contacted her and said, um, yeah, I think I'm your sister's daughter. <laughs> For Barnett's friends and family, this week's reunion is one they'd only ever dreamed of. It was very emotional, for sure, for sure, because it's something that we've hoped for. Helen is a missing link for us, and we're not going to give up. We're going to keep going. Now we have added incentive to, to keep going. For Michelle and Sandy, there is now lots of catching up to do. Not that either of them really seem to mind. It's it's uh, thrilling. It's like yeah, wonderful. It's just wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I love her. Nadia Stewart, Global News. If anybody knows where. <laughs> Great story. All right, Barry here early because today, of course, in case you missed it, Canucks, the NHL draft lottery, and. Um, it's become kind uh, of the Canucks uh, playoffs lately because, of course, they've not 
played on the ice for mm -hmm. the playoffs. This is kind of one of the most exciting moments for Canucks fans is maybe, yeah. just maybe, you know, their luck will turn. But no. some things just kind of stay the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Canucks have never really had any luck in the NHL draft lottery. That trend continued again today in Toronto. Canucks had the sixth best chance to win the number one overall pick. But instead of moving up, they actually went down. The number seven overall selection in the 2018 NHL draft belongs to the Vancouver Canucks. This is the third consecutive draft lottery. The Vancouver Canucks lose position, falling from six to seven. Yeah, so the Canucks' dreams of getting a game changer like Rasmus Dahlin with the number one pick have been dashed Yet again, you figure the Canucks are due for some luck just once, but it'll have to wait at least another year. Squire Barnes is down at Rogers Arena, where it's the same old story for Canuck fans. Squire? Well, allow me to be poetic, everyone. Rogers Arena is as empty as the heart of Canucks Nation. But Vancouver's never drafted first overall, so we're pretty much used to it. I will say this. Um, they have a whole bunch of season ticket holders at the sports bar, which is a few feet away from us. It's a little too loud to do this part of the uh, show in there, though. A groan, of course, when the Canucks were announced as the seventh overall pick. But when Edmonton didn't move into the top three, huge cheers. Now, the Canucks at seventh overall, they're not going to trade that pick. They will likely pick a defenseman. And there are quite a few pretty good young defensemen to be uh, chosen. Of course, they would love to have had Rasmus Dolan. The guy they picked this year likely won't be able to start next season, though. should mention that next year, the NHL draft itself will be held in this very building. Will the Canucks be in the lottery next year? It's quite possible. One thing I'm sure a lot of Canuck fans are saying right now, did you really need 14 points in your last nine meaningless games? They only had a 7.5% chance of winning today, and that wasn't enough. All right. Thanks, Squire. You know, on a much uh, happier note in sports, out of the NFL draft where history was made, University of uh, Central Florida linebacker Shaquem Griffin became the first one-handed player in the league after being drafted by the Seahawks. His left hand was amputated as a child due to a prenatal condition. He stunned the league by bench pressing 225 pounds 20 times with a prosthetic left hand. He says he's out to prove he can hold his own on the field. I mean, one day is, I'm going to be called Shaquem Griffin, the football player, not Shaquem Griffin, the the, the one-hand wonder. <laughs> I don't need that name. Just call me Shaquem Griffin, the football player. I'm good with that. And Griffin will play alongside his twin brother Shaquille this fall in Seattle. That is, if he makes the team, of course. So a lot of people cheering for that young man. Um, we'll have much more on the NHL lottery coming up later, including the three teams still in the running for the number one pick. They're down to uh, Carolina, Buffalo, and Montreal, but they'll announce the order a little later on tonight. We may not have it by the, by the time I'm back, but oh, we know okay. for sure it's not going to be the Canucks. <laughs> but as Squire said, they have the draft here next year. Maybe they'll Luck hold, it, hold it for the hometown draft. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah. And then we'll, have, we'll celebrate properly. <laughs> right. right. Welcome back. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is set to attend a vigil in Toronto tomorrow night to honour the victims of Monday's van attack. Ten people were killed when a rented van was deliberately driven into pedestrians on a sidewalk. Global's Erica Vela reports now on how the city is standing united in the face of tragedy. I feel also that it's my duty to come here. In fact, Amir Moderis has visited this memorial almost every day. 
Since the van attack happened. Words cannot describe it. Motorists witnessed the carnage that happened along Young Street on Monday. Five days later, the memories still haunt him. It's just terrifying, right? Uh, the bodies and all the, the mess from the accident. But those thoughts haven't stopped him as well as thousands of others from coming back to the scene in solidarity, standing behind those affected. I'm just here for, for all the victims. I just, my, my heart goes to them and yeah, I feel, it feels so sad. At the memorial, over and over, the words Toronto Strong etched into pieces of bristol board. And the words have taken on a whole new meaning. It's the title for fundraising efforts that have raised almost $2 million. Determined that there was a real need for a central place to receive donations. It's for immediate crisis support for the families of the victims, uh, for the, the uh, survivors, for the witnesses. It's not just monetary donations. People are finding other ways to support victims of Monday's van attack, including a vigil that will be held at Mount Lassman Square on Sunday. When people come together, uh, they feel better about things in the city. It gives them a sense of hope looking forward at the same time as they're there to grieve about what happened uh, to our city and to obviously individuals who were killed or injured this past week. Every person should do everything in their power to help, whether it's financially, whether it's by some act of kindness, even positive words can make a huge difference. People continue to leave flowers and handwritten notes of support, and Madara says the message is simple. When somebody suffers, we feel like everyone's suffering. As for those who are hurting, they are not alone. Erica Vela, Global News. Spring flooding causing headaches for people in at least two other provinces. People living in parts of New Brunswick are being forced out of their homes. Heavy rain and a run of warm weather now melting the snowpack. It is earlier than usual and it's causing the St. John River to spill its banks. Crews have been sandbagging to save what they can. Ten homes have already been evacuated. Authorities warning now the worst is yet to come. In central Alberta, a state of emergency in place in the White Course area that's two hours northwest of Edmonton. Residents were forced to leave their homes early this morning after an ice jam on the Athabasca River caused water to back up for several hours before overflowing. Back in Vancouver, everything was up for sale today at the annual Vancouver Police Recovered Goods Auction. <laughs> Now, this is where the VPD gets rid of all its stolen items recovered in the past year. More than 300 bikes, as well as appliances, art and jewellery and even sports equipment up for auction after police couldn't find their original owners. Anybody who spots their stolen items in the auction, though, can still reclaim it. Sink a hoop to help a kid. That is behind the annual Strathcona Hoopathon. <laughs> Michelle and Chris Galis joining dozens of uh, children at the gym in Chinatown this morning. The free throws raising money on behalf of Strathcona Rotary Youth Development. The funds going towards basketball equipment, uniforms and coaching, as well as transportation, vocational skills training, bursaries and scholarships as well. The duo was also honoured with a Paul Harris Fellowship Award for their ongoing support.
Thank you very much for having us, guys. It's always a pleasure. Chris and I have a bit of a friendly competition amongst each other, but really and truly it's for a good cause, and I'm glad that we both uh, got in the amount of baskets that we did today, but it's a lot of fun, so thank you very much for having us. We're excited to be here. <laughs> Little and large, I love it. Yeah, Is we it true the you shortest can... and the tallest people at the station. But I've go. heard you can dunk over top of Chris. Exactly. That's the kind of elevation you have. Yeah, it's a huge height. Like it Dr. really J. is a huge height. <laughs> uh, we wanted to say it was such an honor to receive the, the Paul Harris Fellowship, uh, but more so to thank all the sponsors today. Just to give you an idea what the pressure was like, it was $350 per basket. Oh, uh, Chris okay. had his personal best at 16. I had 10. And between the both of us, we raised over $10,000 nice. today. Good for you. And close to $20,000 is going to go to scholarships given to some of the youth there. And just Chris and I will benefit two people for their scholarships. That so, yeah. is brilliant. Good work. It was, That's a, lot of, it was a lot of pressure, but yeah. it all went well. <laughs> it's hard to go under pressure. Right? Yeah. You nope. shoot with two hands and uh, under, <laughs> underhanded. And backwards. In the 50s. Yeah, and backwards. Yeah, sure. Cricket. And from the, yeah, half court, too. <laughs> so, are you, I know, and then now you've come into more pressure because we're like, where did, where did the sunshine <laughs> yeah, go? It's all gone. Yes. So uh, we had record-breaking temperatures still yesterday for the interior. Uh, we had advertised a big change on the way, and we felt it today with the cool down. We've seen rain on and off for most areas across the south coast. There is going to be a bit of a break in the action, but still unsettled for tomorrow. We have to get through the next few days, but there is the return for some sunshine. Interior sections, heads up. We are going to see a warm-up once again. I'll have the timeline of it, but yes. The return for some sunshine, we just have to be patient once again. Summer isn't here quite yet. Oh, it's like we were teased with a full week of <laughs> like nice. brilliant I, sunshine. Yeah. Yes, and I, I just feel like I was talking about the NHL draft, but we'll have more on that <laughs> okay. in case you missed it with the Canucks. Uh, it'll be number seven. Usually seven's a good number. It's a lucky seven, but uh, not when you're going for number one. So uh, tough luck. I thought. I think a lot of us, even in the sports department, thought, hey, I th- we have a feeling maybe the, this could be it for the Canucks. Wouldn't that be something? But... No, No. didn't happen. Welcome back. Well, a terminally ill toddler at the centre of a legal battle died today. The parents of Alfie Evans had been fighting to keep him on life support and take him out of the country for further treatment. But doctors said there was no hope for his survival. In the end, the courts sided with the doctors. Just a few weeks shy of his second birthday, Alfie Evans took his final breath in the same British hospital where he spent most of his short life. His devastated parents posting, Our baby boy grew his wings tonight. We are heartbroken. In his first months, Alfie thrived, but he was hospitalized after developing seizures, diagnosed with a rare brain condition which doctors said was impossible to treat, arguing in court that he should be taken off life support, his parents fighting back. No one, and I repeat, no one in this country has taken my boy away from me. The tragic and bitter battle to keep him alive reverberating across the world. Alfie Evans. Pope Francis intervened, meeting dad Tom Evans in Rome, a Vatican hospital offering to treat the toddler. But those efforts rejected by courts, who ruled there was no prospect of recovery. Alfie was taken off life support on Monday, the family working with doctors to make him comfortable. Supporters who kept vigil as Alfie hung on for four days, now in mourning. The case similar to that of baby Charlie Gard, who died in London last year. A court denying his parents' petition to take him to America for experimental treatment. Alfie's parents battled for months in hopes of saving their son. Now, as they mourn, crowds are gathering to remember and celebrate Alfie's short life. Lucy Kafanov, NBC News, London.
President Donald Trump kicked off a campaign-style rally in Michigan tonight instead of attending the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner. You may have heard I was invited to another event tonight, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But I'd much rather be in Washington, Michigan than in Washington, D.C. right now. That I can tell you. Besides attacking the media, Trump also spent time criticizing his opponents and also talking about cross-border trade. It was also today that the Office of the U.S. Trade adding Canada to its priority watch list of countries that have failed to enforce intellectual property rights. Trump also talking about his international affairs successes, including setting up a meeting with North Korea. In Health Matters tonight, a study suggesting music can help ease anxiety in patients living with dementia. Researchers at the University of Utah scanned the brains of 17 Alzheimer's patients as they listened to a variety of sounds. What they found was that only music activated the areas of the brain that are still functioning properly and improved connectivity in other parts of the brain. The bottom line here, patients felt a lot happier when they heard their favorite songs. And can eating dark chocolate help your eyesight? In a very small study, 30 adults were given either dark or milk chocolate. They then had their vision tested. It was repeated three days later with the same group eating the alternative bar of chocolate. Overall, their vision was found to be slightly better than normal after eating the dark chocolate. But experts say it's not really clear that this small improvement could actually be sustained over time and whether the same results could happen in real life for the first look at the giant pandas who are new to town. Uh, those who have a Calgary Zoo membership are now lining up to see the pandas, many of them posting images on social media. The two bears and their two cubs made their way to Calgary from Toronto. Back in March, zoo officials think that hundreds of people are going to make their way through the panda passage over the next few days. They're cute and um, lazy, and I like la being lazy too. They're cute. Yeah. <laughs> and they walk around, and they're super adorable. You know, folks go in, they don't know what they're going to get with pandas. We try and explain to folks, you might get a sleeping panda, a playful panda, you could get an eating panda, a pooping panda. That's kind of what they live like. A stand-up paddleboarder got more than he bargained for, riding the waves down under. Heading out into the waters of Western Australia yesterday when a dolphin suddenly leaped out at him and bumped him off his paddleboard. A pod of dolphins was chasing a school of fish at the time. The paddleboarder saying this was a fair hit. The Simpsons has been a pop culture phenomenon, of course, for nearly 30 years. This weekend, the animated TV show will be breaking a long-standing record to become the longest-running primetime scripted series ever. For two decades, Gunsmoke ruled the television airwaves. CBS aired 635 episodes of the Western, a record for a scripted primetime program. But that record will soon be broken. Tomorrow night, Fox airs the 636th episode of The Simpsons. Can't let you do it. Can't let you break my record. Ah, yeah, 
The Simpsons made their debut as a series of animated shorts in 1987. There's nothing to worry about. Now everyone go to sleep. Good night. Homer and company were so popular that two years later, Fox decided to give The Simpsons their own primetime series. The show became an instant hit, and it was clear from the start The Simpsons was no ordinary cartoon. Wait a minute. There's something bothering me about this place. I know. This lesbian bar doesn't have a fire exit. Enjoy your death trap, ladies. Executive producer Al Jean has been with the show since the beginning. Writers and animators, everybody has just worked so hard on preserving the quality of the show. I think that's one reason we're still around. The winner, Homer Simpson. With 29 seasons, 32 Emmys, a Peabody, a hit feature film, and popular merchandise, The Simpsons remains a cultural phenomenon and groundbreaking franchise. My whole life has been leading to this one moment. Oh, my chest hurts! That's called pride. Brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know anybody who doesn't love The Simpsons, uh, Yvonne. Just a great show. Exactly, and it's been around for so long, so mm -hmm. we'll continue to watch it for sure. All right, shifting gears <laughs> to the forecast. A very different weather picture today. We have seen some wet weather, but it's the temperatures. It's really cooled off. It'll continue to be cool over the next few days, but a warm-up is on the way, and I'll have that with your long range in just a moment. We have a bit of a break in the action right now across Metro Vancouver, but there is still some waves of moisture that is going to push in this evening and continue for the overnight. Cloud cover out there right now with the moisture. Temperature sitting at 11 degrees. The wind southeasterly light at 9 kilometers per hour. Temperatures today only reaching a high of 12 degrees below the average for this time of the year that sits at 14. And a record, record of 22 degrees was set back in 1976. A few other numbers and highs across the province today. So a significant difference for many areas. A Soyuz today up to 15 degrees, 19 for Williams Lake. Prince George at 20 and areas near Tofino at 10 degrees. Your current temperature along the North Shore at 8, Coquitlam sitting at 9, Pitt Meadows at 10, areas near Tawasin at 11, White Rock at 10 degrees, and Chilliwack currently sitting at 11 degrees. It'll continue to be cool for most areas, especially along the coast and interior sections, currently sitting at 16 for Kamloops, still up to 22 for Quinnell and Smithers with your current temperature at 4 degrees. Zooming on out, we do have a system that's just to the south of us. That's what's going to bring us the instability. It's waves of moisture. Most of the moisture will be heaviest for the overnight, and then it'll taper off tomorrow with a few breaks, especially for the south coast. Interior sections will be looking at that cloud cover. The further south you are, or closest to the borders, where we'll see more moisture. So overnight tonight, we can see that in the future cast. Tomorrow, a bit of a break. Monday, still remaining unsettled. We're tracking some wet weather, and then a dry day returns on our Tuesday. For the piece this evening, though, windy conditions with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Dry for your Monday throughout much of the day and then showers pushing in by the evening. White horse underneath a mix of sun and cloud right around your average for this time of the year at 10. Coastal sections will still hang on to a nice break. And then it's Monday where a chance of showers does develop. The caribou and central interior windy conditions tomorrow with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Columbia and Kootenai region, it's on and off rainfall. A cool day tomorrow. Tomorrow with only a high of 12 degrees and then back up to 15 and 16 looking ahead towards next week. Thompson, Okanagan, snow level starting at around 1,500 meters and rising to 1,800 for tomorrow. 10 degrees will be the high with on and off showers. 
A cool day for Whistler tomorrow with only a high of 11 degrees, back up to 14 degrees on your Tuesday. Along the island, south coast will remain unsettled over the next two days. We'll start to see a break and a clearing on the way for Tuesday. Temperatures will be on the rise leading in towards next week, especially for the interior sections by the end of the week. But it's cool for tomorrow underneath that cloud cover and on off showers with 13 degrees. Sonia? No idea what happened. (laughs) Thank you very much for that. Cheers, everyone. Uh, Still ahead on the news hour tonight, a loyal companion, a touching story of the undeniable connection between humans and their pets. So stay with us for that. But Barry is up next talking Canucks and the NHL draft lottery. This guy here is uh, a bear. A Burnaby gardener. I can't draw. With a knack for topiary. If I can do it, anybody can. Just make one. Cuts loose. How many figures do you have? About 50. 50. 50. Monday on Global News Hour at 6. All right, over to you with um, some, I, I wanted to say good news, but it kind of just didn't happen that way. Well, today. you know, the lottery is a, That's exactly it's a flip what it of is. a coin. It's yes. a lottery. Usually you don't win them. Right. I mean, sometimes someone wins lotteries. Yeah. The, not the Canucks. You won once, didn't yeah, you? I think That's so. Right, yeah. I, I've forgotten all about it. <laughs> Thanks, Sonia. Yeah, seven is considered a lucky number, usually, unless you're talking about the NHL draft lottery and the Canucks. The Canucks will pick seventh on June 22nd in Dallas. Basically, it uh, came up snake eyes again for the Canucks, who will now go 49 straight NHL drafts without the number one pick. About two hours ago, the Canucks' dreams were dashed yet again. They ended up dropping one spot from six to seven. They'll likely take a defense when there are some good ones in the draft, just not Rasmus Dahlin, who will go number one to either Buffalo, Montreal, or Carolina. We'll know the exact order uh, just after seven o'clock tonight. All right, NHL playoffs today, Game 1 Eastern Conference Semifinal, Bruins and Lightning from Tampa Bay. Late first, Rick Nash will deflect the uh, David Pasternak point shot. It's a power play goal, 1-0 Bruins. Second period, opening minute, Pasternak with another setup. Great look off and then a perfect feed to Patrice Bergeron, who fires at home. The Bruins' number one line was humming again today, 2-0 Boston. Tampa got one back, but the Bruins restored the two-goal lead off the rush. Rick Nash with his second of the game, firing one crossbar and in 3-1 Boston. Now in a lightning power play, this is strange, Bruin goalie Tuka Rask loses his skate blade, but play continues. They can only blow it down if he lost his mask. Then the lightning score, Mikhail Sergachev gets the goal. Rask was angry, but the referees made the right call by not blowing the whistle. 3-2, but... In the third, the Bruins pull away. Marchand deflects the Charlie McAvoy shot to make it 4-2. And then more magic from the top line. Marchand to Bergeron, and they find open space so well. That line, which also includes Pasternak, combined for 11 points. They've got 41 points between them in eight playoff games as the Bruins roll past the Lightning 6-2 in the opener. Meanwhile, in the West, the incomparable story of the Vegas Golden Knights continues. Game two versus the Sharks. Vegas 5-0 in the playoffs. They've allowed just three goals in those five games. They got four goals in the first period against San Jose. Just one tonight. Colin Miller pounds it wide, but it's uh, William Carlson firing in on the carom from the sharp angle. one nothing after one. Early second, it's Carlson again. Picks off the clearing pass. Waits, waits, and then fires it past Martin Jones. 2 nothing for the Golden Knights. Can they be stopped? Well, San Jose finally gets their first goal of the series off the faceoff on a power play. Brent Burns 
That made it 2-1. It snapped a 144-minute shutout streak for Marc-Andre Fleury. That's where it stands now, 2-1 Vegas in the second. NBA playoffs, Game 7 in the East. Celtics and Bucks from Boston. Home team has won every game so far. And true to form, Celtics off to a good start. The Kiwi, Aaron Baines, 3-for-3 three three off the bench in the first. Hits the buzzer beater, 30-17 Boston after one. Second quarter, Celts on the run. It's Marcus Smart to Al Horford for the alley-oop. And right now, Celtics looking good up 74-63 in the third. Still to come, the Blue Jays look to get back on the winning track against the Texas Rangers. And the Whitecaps can relax a bit this weekend after snapping their losing streak last night against Real Salt Lake. A look back when we come back. I wear jeans every day. But on jeans day, I wear two pairs. Jeans Day is May 3rd. Buy a button, jean up, and support BC Kids. Come out to the Chocolate Challenge and support a great cause. Proceeds will support the Strathcona Backpack Program, Project Chef, and Vancouver Firefighter Snacks for Kids Program. Details at gourmetwarehouse.ca. Don't miss the largest seafood and ocean celebration on the West Coast. The BC Seafood Festival celebrates everything shellfish and seafood. Info at bcseafoodfestival.com. For RBC, I'm Yvonne Shell. Our BC is brought to you by Alpine Credits. Own your own home and need a loan? Get approved in less than 24 hours at alpinecredits.ca. Welcome back. It was not a work of art, but the Whitecaps did bust out of a three-game losing streak last night as they held off Real Salt Lake 2-0 at BC Place. Vancouver had been outscored 10-1 in those three losses, but they stopped the bleeding last night. Carl Robinson says he's got to be confident in his boys that they can bounce back, and they did. They didn't create much, though, until the 74th minute when Nicholas Mosquito was fouled in the box. Penalty awarded to Vancouver. Kristen Tuchera is going to take it. Now he buries it. That's the good news. The bad news during the celebration takes his shirt off. That's an automatic yellow. And since he already had a yellow card earlier in the match, it adds up to a red. And he's out. That's just stupidity from a professional soccer player. Got to be smarter than that. The cap's down a man, but instead of nursing the lead, Alfonso Davies takes matters into his young legs. An incredible run down the left side. That was actually going in, but Anthony Blondell made sure he gets credit for the goal. His first as a cap. 2-0 the final, so they get back to 500, 4-4-1, snapping that three-game skid. They're still struggling somewhat, but they'll take the three points. I was happy that we won the game and I think you're always looking at trying to, it doesn't matter when you score a goal, you've got to win the game of football. Uh, we won the game of football today and it was great character shown by the group of players. I think we got, um, I don't want to say lucky, but uh, you know, uh, the, the first half was definitely tough. I think that they had a lot of pressure on us. Um, they, they had a couple opportunities, but they, at the end of the day we got three points and we got a clean sheet, so that's always nice for the back line and the goalies. MLS today, Toronto FC hosting Chicago, TFC trying to get over the disappointment of losing the CONCACAF Champions League final in penalties in Mexico Wednesday. Good start though, Jonathan Osario, the Canadian, having a great season, scores in the eighth minute, scored a bundle of goals in the Champions League series. Sebastian Javenko with the service, 1-0, then Michael Bradley misfires on the shot. Turns out to work out pretty well though, as Victor Vasquez will take that ball and loop it in to make it 2-0 Toronto. But Chicago came back off the corner kick. German star Bastian Schweinsteiger makes it 2-1. 
TFC wanted offside, but the goal stood. It was 2-1. And then in stoppage time, Chicago all over Toronto, and it pays off as Alan Gordon steals a point for the fire. 2-2 the final. TFC just won 4-1 in six MLS matches. The defending cup champs are dead last in the Eastern Conference, but a long way to go. English Premiership. Mo Salah and Liverpool looking to inch closer to clinching a Champions League berth against 18th place Stoke. Salah leads the EPL in scoring, a chance for another, but shockingly misses. First time he hasn't scored at home as a starter since Boxing Day. It ends nil-nil. Meanwhile, Chelsea trying to catch Liverpool or Tottenham to grab a top-four Champions League spot. It's a long shot, but they did their part today against Swansea. Ed Nazard slides it to Cesc Fabregas, who finishes with the only goal of the match. Chelsea win 1-0. They're just two points back of Tottenham for fourth, but the Spurs have a game in hand. Baseball today. Jays in their first rough patch of the season have lost six of eight, hosting Texas, top of the second. Jerickson Profar will crush a line drive homer to left off Jays starter Jaime Garcia, 2-0 Texas. And then in the fourth, Shin Su Chu hits one to left center. You got it. I'll take it. And it drops between Pilar and Granderson. That should not happen in a major league outfield. Two-run score, 5-0 Texas. Only positive, Jay rookie Lourdes Guriel, young uh, shortstop infielder from the Dominican with his, or from Cuba actually, his first major league homer. But the Jays fall again 7-4, so they drop to 14-12 and 12 on the season. There you go. All right, now we often say dogs are a man's best friend. Tonight, we have the story of how a dog in Abbotsford proved just how true that is after one of his owners passed away. Here's Jill Bennett. She was very lost. She was definitely in distress. She wouldn't eat. Sadie, a 13-year-old Border Collie Dalmatian Shepherd Cross, has been a loyal companion since being adopted at eight weeks. So when one of her owners died suddenly, she took it like any grieving family member would. She came and she laid with him, uh, almost as if trying to get and pushed at his hand, almost as if to get him to pet her, because um, she was daddy's girl. That was, she was his and he was hers. Julia Beaulieu's husband had a fatal heart attack a few months ago. As she came to terms with her loss, she was also dealing with a devastated dog. She'd listen for his truck. She'd go stand at the window and look. Um, and then it just seemed, you know, this the big whoop. And she'd just lay there as if she knew. She was waiting for him to come home. Sadie stopped eating for 10 days and lost 10 pounds. But when it was time for the service, Beaulieu decided it was also time for Sadie to say goodbye. So then I let her stand up and look, and she was actually almost a look of shock on her face. And then she stood there, and you know how they move their heads. She did the same thing and was quite puzzled by it. And she just seemed to relax and stood there with me. Beaulieu had no idea that moment was captured in a photo taken by the CEO of the funeral company. And I thought to myself, not only is it a touching moment for people who are dog owners, and uh, it really showed the connection between... Um, humans and their pets and, and how tight it is. But this was a tool, I thought to myself, Julia will will need this photo afterwards to understand sort of the significance and importance. Having dogs at funerals isn't commonplace, but that might be changing. We can all deal with closure um, in our own way and grieving. And if that means uh, having a member of the family present that is not, uh, you know, typical or usual, we'll make that work for you. Beaulieu says every time she looks at the photo, it brings her a little comfort. Jill Bennett, Global News. So heartwarming, mm-hmm. isn't it?
Really uh, amazing. We don't often think about that. Finally tonight, an update on the litter of Pad's puppies. YVR is sponsoring. Thursday was the first day of class for Wilbur. Orville and Amelia, Vancouver Airport. Of course, you might remember, asked the public to help name these puppies last month. Uh, the winning entries paying tribute to aviation pioneers Wilbur and Orville Wright and Amelia Earhart. The Golden Retriever puppies are training to be Pacific Assistant Service Dogs to help uh, make life easier for people with disabilities. So cute. So cute. Pretty hard to get much cuter than that. All the other puppies are jealous. Of <laughs> That's how cute they are. Thanks very, very much for watching. Uh, look out for a little bit of rain heading tomorrow as well. Settled and Monday too. See you back here tomorrow uh, tonight at uh, eleven. Good night.